Good evening, and welcome to the Monday, October 23rd, 2023 meeting of the Sacramento Ethics Commission. It is now 5.33 p.m., and I am calling the meeting to order. Will the clerk please call the roll to establish a quorum? Thank you. Commissioner Velasquez? Present. Commissioner Ng? Present. And Chair Underwood? Present. You have a quorum. Thank you. I would like to remind members of the public and chambers that if you would like to speak on an agenda item, please turn in a speaker slip before the item begins. For members of the public who wish to join virtually, please refer to the agenda for the Zoom link. Once you have joined the meeting and wish to speak, raise your hand to provide public comment when I confirm the public comment speaking period for your desired item. Online, click on raise hand at the bottom of your screen. In the mobile app, you can raise your hand by tapping the raise hand option in the more tab. And if you're calling in by telephone, dial star nine to raise your hand. And then to unmute or mute, dial star six. And speakers on the phone will be called on by the last four digits of their phone number. And Chair, if I may interrupt, I apologize. Your script is a little old. We no longer do Zoom call-ins um, for members of the public. Um, so the opportunity to make present public comment is here in chambers. Um, but people can watch the video online, live, um, via video stream. Good to know. Sorry to have wasted time saying all that. <laughs> okay, for public comment, you will have two minutes to speak once you are called on. After the first speaker, we will no longer accept speaker slips. Before we start today's agenda, I want to announce that item number five is being continued. Um, we've had a commissioner recuse herself so that we don't have a quorum for that item, and it will be rescheduled at the soonest possible date that we can. So if anyone's here on item five, I just wanted them to know that right off the bat. Our first item of business is approval of the consent calendar. The consent calendar consists of the meeting minutes, the complaint log, and the follow-up log. Madam Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on the consent calendar? Chair, I have no public comment on the consent calendar. Thank you. Are there any commissioners who wish to speak on the consent calendar? Yes, um, Commissioner Ng. Yes, um, Madam Chair, however, an abundance of caution, I must refuse myself from the agenda uh, discussion on agenda item five. Being I am on the planning commission, com, committee of a uh, community or a community group, and they're going to hold a event at, uh, at the council member of Valenzuela's district, and also received the support, uh, in-kind support from the councilwoman's office. Therefore, for transparency, and uh, for abundance of caution, I am going to recuse myself. On that. Okay, that actually 
does, doesn't apply to the consent calendar, um, which is just the minutes of the last meeting, the complaint log, and the follow-up log, but I appreciate your saying that anyway. Do, do either of you have any comments about no. the agenda, the complaint log, or the follow-up log? No. Okay. Um, so then we need a motion to approve the consent calendar. I move to approve the consent calendar. Okay, and a no. second. A second. Okay. A motion by Commissioner Velasquez and a second by Commissioner Ng. All in favor? Aye. 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 All right, the motion passes. All right, we'll now move to the discussion calendar, which is item number four. The um, hearing related to a complaint against Dr. Flojan Kofer and the Kofer for Mayor campaign. So I'm separately going to call this hearing to order. I get to click my gavel again. On Monday, October 23rd, 2023, we are gathered in Sacramento, California. The hearing is to address a complaint before the Sacramento Ethics Commission alleging a violation of campaign contribution limits by Dr. Flojon Kofer, Flojon Kofer for Mayor 2024. The hearing will be run in accordance with the Brown Act, the Sacramento Sunshine Ordinance, and the Sacramento Ethics Commission procedures. The hearing is being recorded by the city clerk. A quorum of the Ethics Commission is present, and I would now like others in the room to identify themselves for the record. We will start with Commission staff and the independent evaluator. Thank you, Chair. My name is Mindy Cuppy. I'm the city clerk. Gary Lindsay, general counsel for the commission. And I'm Stephen Miller, the evaluator for the commission. Now I would ask that if present, the respondent as well as their representative identify themselves for the record. Good evening, I'm Dr. Flo Jean Kofer. Hi, and I'm John Ivey, attorney for the respondent. Thank you. Now I would ask that if present, the complainant as well as their representative identify themselves for the record. No, but I see nobody coming forward. Okay. All right, we have a copy of the independent evaluator's report, which has been publicly posted in accordance with the commission procedures. We have timely received the respondent's written response on October 19th, 2023, which was at least 72 hours before today's hearing and has automatically become part of the hearing record. We have timely received the following submittals from the public at least 72 hours before today's hearing, and they have automatically become part of the hearing record, and that is the correspondence from Stephen Maviglio on October 19th, 2023. The hearing will be split into two parts. The structure of the hearing will be as follows. 
First, the Commission will consider whether any violation of the Sacramento Municipal Code occurred. Commissioners may ask questions of the complainant, who is in here, each respondent, the witnesses, and the evaluator. If, however, a com well, if a commissioner were a complainant, then they wouldn't participate, but that's not the case here. All testimony shall be under oath or affirmation. The commission may ask the city council to issue a subpoena compelling witnesses to appear. I don't think we're going to be doing that. The order of witnesses will be as follows. The independent evaluator will present his report. The respondent will then have an opportunity to be heard and present other evidence. Um, the commission may receive relevant testimony from other witnesses, but the commission may exclude any would-be witness at the commission's discretion with the concurrence of the city attorney. After the completion of all testimonies, the commission will receive public comment, if any. And then second, if it determines that a violation occurred, the commission will determine what, if any, enforcement action it may wish to take. And I do want to say to um, the respondent's attorney that um, you've submitted a PowerPoint of 50 slides and a video that was 17 and a half minutes long. We've, that's part of the record already. We've all had an opportunity to look at that. So I would urge you to limit your presentation to a shorter amount of time and mainly tell us things that weren't covered in what you submitted. I would appreciate that. Thank you. All right. With that introduction, I invite independent evaluator Stephen Miller of Hanson Bridget to present the evaluator's report. Good evening, Commissioners, Chair Underwood. It's delightful to be here with you all in person. I think this is the first time that I've had that pleasure. Okay. Um, the, I, I need what's on the screens behind you has nothing to do with what I'm about to say, so I might request, if that's okay, to take that down for now. Okay. There we go. Oh, and I also realize that I need to administer the oath to you. I'm ready. The city clerk just reminded me. Do you swear or affirm that the testimony you will provide, along with any evidence you submit, are the truth and nothing but the truth? I do. Great. Go ahead. Okay, thank you. Um, this complaint alleges that respondent Dr. Kofer, a candidate for mayor in the March 2024 election, accepted contributions in excess of the city's aggregate contribution limit during the, quote, off-election year period, which is a term we'll talk about a lot this evening. Uh, as far as I can tell, Sacramento is the only city in California to impose an aggregate limit on the amount of campaign contributions a candidate may receive from all contributors during a specified period. Uh, many local jurisdictions, including the city here, other cities, the state, federal government, all impose limits on what an individual may contribute to a candidate. Um, but not on the total amount a candidate may receive from an individual contributor, from all individual contributors, which is what we're talking about this evening. In Sacramento, this aggregate contribution limit applies during what the municipal code refers to as the off-election year period. 
This term is different from another term we'll discuss this evening in the Municipal Code, and that is the primary election period, during which there are, are limits on the amount an individual can contribute, and also some additional uh, regulations and restrictions relating to the city's public financing of campaigns. Um, it's important to understand, I believe, and I hope my report communicates, that the off-election year period and the primary election year period serve different and independent functions in the city's campaign finance election scheme. Even though the off-election year period and the primary year period serve different functions, the city has historically linked them chronologically so that the off-election year period traditionally ends when the primary election year, primary election period begins. And it appears from my investigation uh, and in my report that campaign professionals have gotten used to this temporal relationship between the two periods. Uh, but I emphasize that there's no substantive policy reason why the two periods must be chronologically aligned. It's just a matter of, uh, of tradition uh, over the years. And in that tradition, uh, up until 2021, in fact, the off-election year period has ended approximately one year before the next year's election date, and the primary election period began the day, the next day, after the off-election year period ended. Off-election year period ends, primary election year period begins. Because the state periodically changes the dates of election, and because the city sets its election dates based on what the state does, the city ordinarily adjusts the specific dates of these two pre-election periods to align with the next year's election date as set by the state. This adjustment, adjustment ordinarily happens by way of the staff, the city clerk, and the city attorney together bringing to the council every other year a revised code section with new dates and an implementing ordinance. Like many of the council's activities, this biannual update is in the, seems to be in the category of a number of periodic administrative, almost cleanup act actions to keep the municipal code up to date. In this case, to keep it up to date with the state adopted election dates. Beginning in 2021, however, the staff presented ordinances that departed from this tradition. In particular, in March of this year, 2023, the biannual council action did not include any revision to the dates of the off-election year period. As a result, for the 2024 election, the off-election year period is listed in the Municipal Code as ending on June 30th, 2023, even though the primary election period started on April 1, 2023, three months beforehand. I emphasize again, there's no indication that the City Council set these dates or rather that they did not alter the already existing dates with reference to any policy, uh, nor is there anything in the ordinance to indicate any council intent with regards to not changing the dates. Um, uh, all we are left with is what the code says. In ordinance adopted prior to 2021, the accompanying staff report to the implementing ordinance uh, it indicated a change to the dates as well as the underlying policy consideration for those changes. But in the March 2023 ordinance materials, there's no mention of changing any dates at all. 
In other words, this is not the case of the council stating that it meant to do something, but then not doing it. Nor is there any uh, indication that the council was setting some sort of policy and making any kind of policy determination at all by its lack of action. But as a result of this lack of action, the municipal code unmistakably and clearly reads that the off election year period is between January 1, 2023 and June 30th, 2023 for the March 2024 election. Uh, now, so turning to some facts, uh, respondent and her professional campaign staff noticing that the municipal code dates for the off election period had not been changed and were not the same as what had traditionally been the case sought to confirm the rules and to confirm their understanding of when they were free of the contributional limits applicable during the off election year period, April 1, 2023, when the primary election period began, or June 30th, 2023, when the municipal code said that the off election year period ended. Respondent's campaign treasurer sent multiple emails to the city clerk's office asking for clarification. It appears that these emails went unanswered. Uh, there are different recollections uh, included in my report as to whether the treasurer spoke with a member of the city clerk's office. Uh, in my view, it's not necessary to uh, resolve these different recollections. Uh, in my experience, memories are sometimes unreliable. There are other ways of establishing witness credibility. I found all the witnesses credible. And in any event, I did not think the question of whether or not that conversation occurred was ultimately dispositive or, or even relevant to the uh, result of my investigation. Importantly, however, uh, both the city attorney's office and the city clerk's office both told me that they felt it was an oversight not to have asked the council to adjust the off election year period so that it ended on April 1, 2023. They both told me that they were unaware of a policy reason to have left the, to, to, that called for leaving the dates unchanged. Um, and they both told me that in their view, the relationship between the end of the off election year period and the beginning of the primary election period should have been aligned. In my report, I state that a result, as a result of this, the respondent was confused by the code's confusing rules. And in her supplemental submission, the respondent has uh, rightly corrected my word choice. I should not have said that the respondent was confused. Um, uh, nor did I mean to suggest that the language of the ordinance is confusing. In fact, it's clear to me. What I perhaps should have said more clearly in my report is that the respondent was faced with an ordinance that A, departed from past practices, and B, was not necessarily in line with what the city staff meant to bring to the council. Respondent also suggests, both in a written memorandum that I considered as part of my evaluation, and then again in the 17-minute video uh, presentation that Chair Underwood has just referred to, submitted after I submitted my report, that there are principles of statutory construction that indicate that we must read the municipal code to state that the off-election year period ended on April 1, even though it states in the code that it ends on June 30th in order to further the city council's intent. As set forth in my report, my opinion is different from that of respondent's attorney, and I, I also don't agree with much of the video presentation or with the memorandum that he submitted. 
I, I've tried to explain as briefly and simply as possible in my report why I do not think that the Council's intent is as easy to discern as the respondent suggests. I think it's likely from my investigation that the city clerk and the city attorney attend, intended to bring a different date to the council. But that is different from discerning what the council's intent is in setting the dates or, or more accurately in not changing the existing code. And, and this is particularly the case given that the off election year period and the primary election year period, the two related dates, serve very different and independent functions. Could you explain what those are? Those, what those different functions are? Those two are? different functions. Sure. The off-election year periods in the municipal code, and I'll defer to the city attorney if I'm getting this wrong, but the only purpose of the uh, off-election year period is to set the time frame during which this aggregate contribution limit applies. The primary election period, however, the purpose of the primary election period is to define the period during which contribution limits for individuals, for you or me, apply as to how much we can give to a candidate. And there's also a, uh, a, a, a complicated set of fi public financing of campaigns that's sort of beyond the, the scope of this investigation, but those public financing regulations and how much money the city gives and how that's tied to the campaign activities of candidates also applies during the primary election period, but not during the off-election period, which only has the purpose of, the, uh, of capping the aggregate contributions. Um, so in my view, um, not changing, just to tie this up, not changing the dates as part of its March 2023 action without any explanation of all does not reflect anything about the council's intent. And it's very difficult, in my view, to reach a conclusion as to what that intent might have been. What's not difficult and what's undisputed uh, is that the respondent accepted contributions before June 30th in excess of the aggregate contribution amount. The, aggr the, the, the contribution limit is $67,000, $67,900. That's the amount that a candidate may collect from all contributors during the off-election year period, and the respondent accepted $158,738, $90,838 more than the limit. And if the commission accepts my conclusion that the municipal code means what it says when it defines the off-election year as ending on June 30th, 2023, then in accordance with its procedures, it should adopt a resolution finding that sufficient evidence exists to establish that a violation occurred. However, uh, if the commission, even if the commission accepts my analysis, uh, I believe, and I hope I've set forth in my report as well as here this evening, that it would be unfair to impose any kind of penalty for what appears to me to be an understandable uh, error. And that's why, and maybe when we get to the second phase of this, it'll be my recommendation that the commission find that even if a violation occurred, it should take no further action and just file this matter, uh, which is one of the options expressly allowed under the commission's procedures. That concludes my report. I'm happy to answer any questions. That concludes my presentation about my report. Thank you. Commissioners, any questions? 
And I'll, I'll be here, you know, you can ask questions later too. I do have one question, which is, did you ever interview any members of the city council to ask them what their recollections were about this? So there is a related complaint for which I did interview other members of the council. I, I'm not sure maybe I'd, I'd ask guidance as to whether I can describe I, that or whether that's... No, I, if I may, Gary Lindsay, counsel for the commission, given that there's a recusal regarding that matter, I ask that that not be delved into as, as far as in relation to that matter. Okay, the answer to your question is yes, I did. <laughs> Um, although I, did, I didn't do so specifically with regard to this investigation. It did not seem to me necessarily relevant, um, although I'm just trying to remember my state of mind, given that I had these two complaints to evaluate and one of which I'm not allowed to talk about. Yeah, I, I recognize that that is a little problematic, but um, I don't know, it just seems to me when we're talking about what was the council's intent, it would be nice to know I see. what okay. the council said their intent was. I, so I understand your question. Um, I can tell you um, that in 20, the 2023 action, one council member recused herself from the vote. And the other thing I can tell you, which is one of the reasons why I decided not to, is that there is, uh, when the council acts, its intent is demonstrated by its uh, actions and by the ordinance that it adopts and that uh, the staff report that it uh, accepts and approves. It's very difficult to ascribe an intent to the council writ large based on what individual members may have given as reasons. You know, you could imagine that in, when you're talking about a uh, you know, uh, the United States Senate or the House of Representatives, it's very difficult to discern the intent of the body based on the reasons one person may give for voting. And, and that, I think, applies to a f uh, even a five-member council as well. But uh, with statutory intent, you do go into the congressional record, and which we, we don't have an analogous thing here, but, you know, to see what different people said when they were discussing the bill. Fair enough. I, 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 do not, I, I did not ask council members what I guess would have been the question, which is, did you notice that you were not, that you had not been asked to take action on this issue, and did you have a reason for not standing up and saying, wait a minute, how come we're not changing the off election year period? I, I do believe this is one of these things where the initiative is provided by city staff and council, it's not something that's, it's, it's not a policy that's the pet, pet child of any one council member looking to enact something. But I, the answer is I did not find out that information. Okay, thank you. Does that prompt any questions from anybody else? Yeah, I have a question. Okay. Uh, I apologize if you're having to repeat yourself. I'm trying to get a handle on Please, on it's everything. tricky. There's <laughs> interlocking. I mean, it's, yeah. uh, I, 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 speaking for myself, I was confused. <laughs> um, okay, so is this, when you're talking about a, a there did sufficient evidence exist uh, a violation, is it more at this point about the amount of collective uh, contributions, elective donations um, over the uh, allowed amount on, in the off period? 
or is it the period itself? No, no. Um, thanks for the question. Uh, the, the, the municipal code says that during the off election year period, you may, a candidate for mayor may not accept more than $67,900. It's indisputed the amount of money the council, the, the respondent raised, which is greater than that cap. In my opinion, the period during which that cap applies is what it says in the municipal code, which is between January 1 and June 30th. Okay. During that period, the respondent collected an amount of money over the limit. The only way it would not be over the limit is if you changed the dates or you read the dates January 1 to June 30th to really mean January 1 to April 1st because the amount of money that went over the limit didn't happen until after April 1st. So had those dates changed, that might have been a different case. But in this particular scenario, the, the dates don't really, they have a significance, but they're still over the amount that they were allowed during that period. Correct. And whether, or, city... not, whether or not that it was intended or someone should have changed the date, it wasn't changed, and that those, those dates still applied for that. That's exactly the point that I've made. Okay. Okay, the, um, the city clerk has actually prepared a really nice graphic. That, um, maybe if, can you talk about that or put that up? Or so, Chair, um, we'll go ahead and put this up on the screen. I'm Mindy Cuppy, the city clerk. Um, I tried to make a visual on what happened. Um, as the, our independent evaluator, Ms. Mr. Miller, mentioned, biannually we update the campaign finance contribution limits. So uh, my office is re responsible for proposing those to council um, and presenting them as such. Um, they're typically administrative, um, usually show up on the consent calendar, which is typically something non-controversial um, and, and moves forward that way. So in this year, so in March 2023, what my office proposed to council was to update the campaign finance contribution limits, which is section 2.13.040 of the municipal code. Um, typically, we bring forward um, with that um, an amendment to chapter or 2.13.040, which is definitions. Um, and in March of 2023, we did not bring that forward. So um, if you look at the chart, and, and there's um, copies down here at the table, if you'd like. So in February of 2019, um, we updated the, um, the primary election period um, for the March 2022 primary. Then again, next, two years later, in March 2021, we updated that time, and so it shifts. Um, and then in March of 2023, my office, um, in error, I believe, um, did not update that off-election period to end. And so if you see in the bottom boxes the staff reports, those sections did not move forward in 2023. So council didn't have the opportunity um, to update um, that section of the code, which is the definitions of the code. And a copy of that staff report resolution and the code is exhibit F, like Frank, to your, your the other exhibits show every bi-yearly ordinance, and Exhibit F is the one that did not include any changes. And so if you see in the yellow box, that's the period um, in question, basically. Thank you. Um, uh, oh, wait. Um, ahead, Mr. Mr. Lindsay had something. Okay. He was okay. Uh, thank you. Gary Lindsay, General Counsel for the Ethics Commission. I just wanted to remind uh, each commissioner 
based on the independent evaluator's um, presentation and uh, testimony that uh, you do have the authority if you believe that there are certain topics that are pertinent that you believe you need to have questions raised um, subsequently by the independent evaluator to um, best come to a decision one way or the other. Any one of you can make a motion. It would have to be ultimately passed. But to have the independent evaluator go and address those issues, ask those questions, do that further investigation, and come back before you make an ultimate decision as to how you find regarding the alleged violation. Right. Um, I don't know which one of you wants to speak next. Simple question. You know, uh, who, who, who reviews it? Form 640? Because we got a stack in the candidates who file those forms, 640. It's Talk like a contribution. <clears throat> that are in here. 460? 460 is, I'm sorry. My apologies. So your question is who reviews them? Does anyone know the answer to that? So those those are office clerk. I mean, the, the city clerk's office. We do not review those forms for accuracy. Oh, I see. So it's just a just a form for them to fill it out. Correct. Candidates and office holders are responsible for filing those forms. Okay. Okay, Commissioner Velasquez. Um, I have. A, <coughs> excuse me. That's you. Uh, I have a question about. You mentioned earlier that the respondent attempted to contact the uh, the attorney and the city attorney and the city clerk? Was that? Um, there is in the record an exhibit to the report are copies of the emails that the respondent's treasurer sent to the city clerk's office. And was, the, um, was that one email? Was it several emails? Was it over a few days? Or was it just one attempt? It's, let's see, just uh, be, it was several emails. Let's just be precise if I could. Um, right, it, I attempted it, to print, uh, I stopped printing at 300 pages. Yeah, no, I apologize for that. Um, if you look at exhibit, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm looking in the wrong place here. So much. Exhibit H, H like Henry, shows emails on July 8th, so that, by the way, was after the June 30th. Uh, anyhow, July 8th. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm reading them in, in reverse order. They come okay. up. So uh, first email was on April 13th, April 18th, uh, May 5th, uh, June 30th. Uh, July 1st and July 3rd. And was this all um, in relation to the um, the periods and the and the and the um, the caps? The the first email reads reads Hello. Now that we are in the primary election period, can you confirm that the off-year aggregate limits are no longer in effect? That's the you know the the. $67,900 okay. question that okay. we were all talking about okay. today. That was in the first email on April 13th, and all the others were like, I'm following up. Please let me know. Hello. Okay. Can you email me back? 
Okay, thank you. Sure. I, I, obviously, the tone I just ascribed to those emails is my own. I can't oh, no, I swear heard. that's what the email tone was. I heard was. it the same way, yeah. <laughs> okay. That's how I sound in emails. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so no more questions? All right, so now the respondent may make a statement and, Thank you. or provide evidence if desired. What? Yes. And I am reminded once again to administer the oath to you. Do you swear or affirm that the testimony you will provide, along with any evidence you submit, are the truth and nothing but the truth? I do. If I may actually, if I may interject, my, my apologies. I believe that the um, uh, Madam Clerk is in possession of a memo in regards to this matter. I believe, given um, this respondent is about to make a comment, that it should be read for the respondent's benefit so she's aware of it before the conclusion. The city attorney's office has authorized the city clerk to release the conclusion of a memo from the city attorney's office to. Um, the city clerk's office having to do with the interpretation of um, the relevant code sections and uh, respondent Kofer. Absolutely, I think this would be the appropriate. This is probably the appropriate time to read that. So um, what Mr. Lindsay is referring to is I asked the city attorney's office to also opine on this situation um, because if there is, um, they feel, the city attorney feels that there is a violation, they could pursue um, action. Um, and the conclusion that the city attorney's office came to um, is that it would be inequitable to pursue action to pursue action against persons who may have been caught in the campaign contribution limit codes trap for the unwary. Um, using sound prosecutorial discretion and in the interests of justice, the city attorney's office will not pursue any criminal action against Dr. Kofer. I, that's part from a division I'm not a part of with the city attorney's office, but I believe it's important for Dr. Kofer to know that before she does. Thank you. Good evening, commissioners, and thank you for presiding over this hearing. My name is Flo Kofer, and I'm running for mayor of Sacramento. I'd like to first thank you for your public service. Having served as a commissioner on both the Active Transportation Commission as well as the Mayor's Climate Change Commission and then as four terms as chair of the Measure U Community Advisory Committee, I understand that managing your volunteer leadership positions on top of your professional and personal lives can be a difficult and thankless job. But public service also makes our community a better place to live. So seriously, thank you. I decided to run for mayor because I was very concerned about the challenges facing our city. I'm concerned about the nearly 10,000 people who go to sleep on our streets every night and the many thousands more who live in fear that they're just one emergency, one unexpected expense, or one more rent increase away from becoming homeless too. I'm concerned about the rising homicide rates among our youth and the increased risk of heat and floods from climate change. Unfortunately, for far too long, our political leaders have failed to protect the lives and well-being of far too many of our neighbors. I believe that part of the reason our political system is so unresponsive is precisely because of the role of money in our politics. Campaigns are so expensive that many candidates spend most of their time raising money from large donors to get elected. 
And once elected, they pass policies that benefit those large donors instead of the majority of their constituents. In particular, large corporations, business associations, and real estate interests have come to dominate politics, not just in Sacramento, but across the country. Those corporate interests flex their power by backing certain candidates that they think will advance their agenda and attacking candidates they think might support the broader public interest. They tip the scales of democracy by spending heavily on misleading attack ads and by hiring expensive consultants and law firms to attack candidates that they don't like. Mr. Maviglio, who filed an ethics complaint against me, has long been a hired gun for big business in California. He supported AT&T against its striking workers. He supported the real estate industry when he fought against rent control at the local and state levels, thus contributing directly to our current housing crisis. Mr. Maviglio was even asked to leave the Sacramento Natural Foods Co-op for publicly admonishing his tenant online who offered refuge to victims of police brutality. Mr. Maviglio previously filed four ethics complaints against a progressive woman of color on Sacramento City Council, Sacramento Council Member Katie Valenzuela. He also antagonizes us constantly on social media while elevating one of my opponents who's backed by the real estate industry who happens to have also been defeated by Ms. Valenzuela in his last city council race. Early in this race, Mr. Maviglio publicly questioned my viability as a candidate because he doubted, and I quote, women's ability to raise money. Then when I posted my first fundraising report, funds raised by about 1,000 individual contributions, most of which were $100 or less, from hardworking people. He filed an ethics complaint against me for raising too much money. And when I wasn't sufficiently intimidated by his tactics, instead of letting this ethics commission process play out, he hired a law firm, threatened to sue me, threatening criminal charges against me, and pressuring me to drop out of this race. When my campaign attorney engaged with him in good faith, his attorney told us that he would be filing a lawsuit. When we shared that information publicly, he accused us of lying because he had not yet formally filed the lawsuit he threatened. The city code says the primary election period with no fundraising limits starts on April 1st. I established my campaign committee on April 13th and started campaigning and raising money on April 19th well within the one year period from our March 2024 primary election date. Our campaign followed the intent and letter of the law. And that is why your findings in this complaint case are important. As written, the implication of the investigator's conclusion is that we were understandably confused and therefore should not be punished for violating the law. While it's true that we sought repeatedly to confirm with the city our legal analysis, as my attorney will expertly lay out, our reading of the law is unassailable. We are in compliance with it. In fact, if there's any confusion, understandable or otherwise, it lies with Mr. Maviglio and the other candidates. Mr. Maviglio's assertion that these findings give me an advantage over my opponents in terms of fundraising is absurd. Each of my opponents have previously been elected to other offices. They have a clear advantage over me in terms of fundraising, not the other way around. They're allowed to move money they raised in other races and prior to the primary election period into this race and have done so. I'm proud of what we built in six months. 
Hundreds of volunteers have participated in our campaign, and it reflects the diversity of this community. I built a wonderful team of deeply committed staff. And perhaps the thing I'm most excited about is that we've done all of this while rejecting corporate interests that I believe corrode our politics. Instead, we've raised the vast majority of our funds from over 1,000 small donors like teachers and nurses and state workers. Those hardworking Sacramentans who are fueling our campaign represent the broader working class of Sacramento whose interests I will serve as mayor. I believe we can have everyone go to sleep with a roof over their head. We can have better public transportation. We can have great jobs and protect our city from climate change. I'll be a mayor for everyone in Sacramento because I refuse to turn my back on those struggling to afford housing and medical care, those living on the streets and those dreaming and hoping and praying for a better tomorrow. As the only woman in this race, and as the first black woman to ever run for mayor of Sacramento, I look forward to continuing this race against my distinguished male opponents, all of whom have previously held elected office and all of whom I've had the opportunity to vote for. I look forward to competing against them in the public arena where our ideas can be matched. And just like my dad taught me to do on the basketball court when I was a little girl, I look forward to beating them fair and square. So I ask that you find that no violation occurred, not because it was an understandable one that did, but because we fully complied with the law. Thank you. Thank you. Wait, um, commissioners, any questions of Dr. Kofer? Okay, no questions, thank you. I'm gonna allow my attorney to present some legal findings as well, thank you. Okay, and I think I need to administer the oath to you, too. Do you swear or affirm that the testimony you will provide, along with any evidence you submit, are the truth and nothing but the truth? I do. Thank you. Chair Underwood, members of the commission, thank you so much for, for hosting us tonight. Um, I know that I've already sent you so much material and a video and uh, a lot on this topic. Um, my name is John Ivey. I am an attorney for the Dr. Flo John Kofer for Mayor campaign, something I am very proud to be able to stand here and say. Um, a little bit about myself. I uh, have spent most of the last 20 years in government service at the local, state, and federal level. Um, I was most recently a staff counsel at the Governor's Office of Emergency Services, and I previously served at the California Secretary of State's Office in Elections and Public Records Management. I have a JD from UC Davis School of Law um, close by, and right now I'm working on a thesis uh, for my Master's of Law at UC Davis, um, researching and writing about uh, administrative law, government regulation, legislative drafting, and analysis. Um, and I tell you all of that about me because I also want to say that I am a giant nerd. <laughs> and, and that because I'm writing a thesis and sometimes I'm procrastinating that thesis, I have a lot of time to dive into this stuff and to be able to prepare those materials and those videos and, and stuff, really not to argue against Mr. Miller, who will tell you uh, himself he is not the prosecutor here. Um, I am not the defense attorney, uh, but m both of our roles are kind of to uh, 
help you uh, reach the conclusions that you're going to reach, especially in the short amount of time that Mr. Miller's team had to uh, prepare their analysis, uh, gather all the facts, do the writing, do the reporting. Um, I wouldn't say that uh, the, the things I disagree with him on means that he did a bad job or that his team did a bad job. Um, I think that this process works as that we have a hearing here and are able to talk through these issues. Um, and so I promise to go quickly through the slides because we actually attached the video to, to our submission. And so most of my presentation has already been covered. Um, I wanted to start out, I know, Chair Underwood, that you had asked Mr. Miller um, specifically about, uh, you know, what do those dates do in the law? Like, what, what is the, the, the purpose of the primary election period? What is the purpose of the off-election year and how are they, they different? And one of the things I, I said in my presentation in the video was that the April 1st date um, only had one purpose, and that was to mark the end of the off-election year. And what I meant by that is despite it being present in areas of the law describing you know, when you attribute contributions on the individual level, um, the April 1st date itself is irrelevant. That on March 30th, you attribute uh, those funds in all the same way for the individual level, all the same way for the unrelated public finance part. Um, everything else is the same. And the only explanation for including April 1st in the code anywhere is to mark the start of campaigning for the March primary. Um, and so starting with that, I just kind of want to go through a bit of what we're talking about today. What is the off election year? Um, Mr. Miller's report and his written report, he cited two cases from the US Supreme Court on how to interpret written statutes. Um, I point out in my presentation that the correct authority would be the California Supreme Court, that the, the city ordinances are state law. And so our highest court in the state is the one that is responsible for answering questions about how to interpret state law. And the US Supreme Court has said the same, that they defer to state courts in questions of state law. And importantly, it's not because our laws are, or our rules for interpreting statutes are better than the US Supreme Court's. It's because when we sit down to write laws as a legislature or as a city council, we use those rules and have the expectation that those are the interpretive rules that we're going to follow um, when it comes down to interpreting those laws. And so that is a very important point, is that if you start with the wrong set of rules in your analysis, you might get to the wrong conclusions. And Mr. Miller has stated now that he disagrees with my report in total, um, but I was somewhat unclear what specifically he disagreed with within this presentation. And so you might need to ask him again if he agrees with this assessment. Um, I know that there are attorneys on the panel and you have attorneys on staff. Um, if anybody disagrees with this, um, I, I would love to hear the explanation. And so what have courts said? Well, our, rule is to, our role is to figure out what the city council intended when they wrote the statute. And for that, we look to the text. Uh, the language is construed in the context of the text. We don't just look at one little part which I think is one of the mistakes that was made by Mr. Miller's team, and, and he repeated here today, was he says, hey, this part of the code says something, and that I'm going to ignore every other part of the code. Um, and really, the intent prevails over the letter. That's the law in California. 
And it's not something the Supreme Court would say, but it is important. And so to your other question, Chair Underwood, of what, what did the city council intend, did the individual city council members? I agree with Mr. Miller that really a body like that acts as a body and that it's the votes on the record. And so the equivalent to that legislative history that we would see of here's what they said on the record about it, we don't have in this case because it was a consent item. And the consent item, though, has a nice cover sheet that explains exactly what they were trying to do. And so that's really where we see the intent. And if we pass, pass through all these common errors of, of, of construction, um, if anybody in the public wants to catch up with this, I think that <laughs> there's a video online that, that goes over this stuff. It's a little bit remedial, but I thought it was important to include, not to insult uh, the members of the commission, but to bring the public along for any decision that you make. Um, and in Mr. Miller's report, and I don't disagree with him, he says very plainly, in his words, we understand that the city council's intent was the following. The off election year period should end approximately one year before election day. The primary election period should start the day after the off election year period ends and run through the month of the primary election, such that there is a one year primary election period. And so while Mr. Miller is right, that it's sometimes difficult to discern intent. It's, it's hard to get it from one little piece of evidence. But when he looked at everything, this is the conclusion he came to. And really, I think the discerning disagreement between us is whether this matters. I say it, it absolutely matters, that this is the end of the analysis. If you're reading the text in a way that doesn't track with this, you're just reading the text wrong. Um, and to talk about that, I, I talk in my video about some other mistakes that were made by other um, lawyers who are very capable and mistakes happen. But here I want to pause and talk about a regular election. Um, here in the code, it says, for purposes of a regular election for city office, the period from July 1st through December 31st is considered part of the election year uh, when you're talking about the, the, the off year before it. Um, Mr. Miller's uh, writing and his talk does not address at all um, how we should interpret what a regular election is or why you, know, the, you could read this code to mean that they meant an election in June, not an election in March. Um, I would say from the structure of the rest of the code and from what we know of what the city was trying to do, the fact that they didn't even amend it in, in March of 2023 because it's already effective for our, our election. I think we can easily read this plain language to mean that a regular election was one that was in June and that this date doesn't apply. We also have evidence that this is not the exclusive definition of the off election period. It's not just the, the time when there isn't an election going on. It's also sometimes the time right after an election. And so just the difference between those two sections, they are in conflict with each other, but they're easy to understand and read that this is the general definition, and then these are the more specific definitions all surrounding each other. And again, this April 1st date has no other purpose in the law. It doesn't matter what's going on on March 30th compared to April 1st, except that you then are free of this limit. And just as a plain language thing, it says that a primary election period starts on April 1st. If you're asking the question, when do I start campaigning for my primary election, 
there's nothing confusing about this code. It says it very plainly. And so I also talked about other places in the code where all these terms are used together, and it signifies this clear separation of these periods. Um, this is what it's meant, is one follows the other follows the other, not that overlapping chart that we saw um, from the city clerk. That was not their intent. They marked, it, they marked their slide as a mistake. And we don't just create law from mistakes of staff. And we don't assume that it was a mistake to set it up this way. The text is easily readable to say that a regular election is a June primary and that when it's a March primary, we go with the April 1st date because that makes sense. I'm jumping around a lot, but this was an ordinance. And again, these two terms are not unrelated to each other. Um, they were passed together in the same ordinance. Um, there is no textual evidence to suggest that these are separate dates and that should be treated as completely different. Everything from the text points to the off election year ending and the primary election period beginning. And I hope my presentation still makes at least a little bit of sense uh, in the sped up version. <laughs> and um, I, I really, really believe that this separation is the only reasonable interpretation of this statute. That we don't walk into the city council room and assume that their laws don't make sense, right? That if the staff is saying, hey, this is what we normally do and how we do it and how it's supposed to go, we don't just ignore that. We don't just say, oh, they must have changed their minds this time and shortened the primary election period by three months. We look at this and we say, this is what they intended to do. This is what they did. This is what the law is. And so we get two different sets of calendars that just keep going as they have historically on into the future. And so specifically, uh, I was going to say councilwoman, Commissioner Velasquez, correct? You, you asked the question of what is the you know, underlying issue that we have? Is it that we raised too much money or is it when we raised it? And it really is about when we raised it because this campaign didn't start until after April 1st. And so when we, when we say it's an uncontroverted fact, that we raised more than the, the limit between January and June, that really doesn't mean anything. We could say the same thing about we raised more than the limit in the last 10 years. It doesn't, it's a meaningless distinction. We didn't start raising money until after April 1st. There was no fundraising in January, in February, in March, in the previous terms, just from April 1st, just after the code plainly tells us, start campaigning. And so why does this matter? Um, one of the things uh, I, I think is very clear in the room is that nobody is talking about um, fining the campaign or, or punishing the campaign in some way. And so why have we not just come here graciously and said, thank you? Um, and it's because these words matter. And we know these words matter because we look at just uh, that top line, uh, find that sufficient evidence exists to establish that a violation of ethics law has occurred. This is an election for mayor. And an election for mayor is, it's important that the public know they can trust 
the candidates, that they're going to follow the law and do so diligently. And we have a Mr. Maviglio, who is not with us today to go under oath, but is probably tweeting as we speak. Um, and he took this text, and when reporters started reporting on the, uh, the evaluator's report, he says, actually, the evaluate, evaluator noted that she broke the law. They found she broke the law. Print that, maybe. And of course, he republishes his friends as well. If you've had the opportunity to observe the city's ethics commission in action, do. The commissioner's decision-making process is weak and by no means impartial. Yeah, I read that in your materials, and I, that did not make me happy. Yeah, and so if you're looking for this in the video at home, it's not in the video because this was in the last few days alone of, of these public comments. And I want to say that in the filing that he submitted to, to this body, he used a racist nickname that he has used in the past um, to describe my client. Um, he has used every opportunity to attack her in public, and this action is no exception. In just October 17th, he says, it's what she does about obeying the fundraising law, about a lawsuit that doesn't exist, about a fundraising deadline that doesn't exist. She's desperate. These are confused, desperate women. They are weak women. And what's this quote? Is this Miviglio too, that not a medical doctor, just to be sure? Yes, I included that in the, uh, the submission. It was a quote that he made to, uh, I believe it was Fox 40 in an interview um, that he gave that somebody asked him, what do you think of the, the, the doctor flow for mayor campaign? And the first thing he says is, not a medical doctor, just to be sure. Just to throw that in there. Yeah, she has a PhD and a master's, um, a well-qualified epidemiologist and public health advocate. Not a medical doctor, just to be sure. Not a real doctor. And so there is no question that these kind of comments, these kind of words are unacceptable. And I don't bring them up just to, to, to bash someone who isn't even here to hear it but because the words that the commission chooses here are important. That if, it, if you're saying that, that you know, the law was one way and this campaign violated it, um, I just want you to, to understand and, and appreciate you know, what those words will mean outside of this chamber. Um, and very specifically, if the law was so a mess, so confusing, it was a mistake that it was the way it was, everybody thought it was this way, that the, that the city had told us that it was okay to start campaigning and stuff like that, that that isn't a forgivable excuse for violating the law. All of those things point to that a law wasn't violated. And that is what we would like to see on the record. That is the message that I think would help to silence some of these um, you know, microaggressions and dog whistles and outright misogyny and racism is a strong message that no, this is a professional campaign full of smart people um, who did a good job. Um, and so with that, that, that is basically um, all I had. Um, I hope I didn't go too long. 
Um, but I also wanted to uh, be open to any questions you have about the legal analysis, especially, and I know uh, Dr. Kofer is still here and happy to speak, um, so thank you. Well, I do have a question, and I'm not sure if you're the one to answer it or if it's somebody else from the campaign, which is when you sent the email, the, the multiple emails to the, I guess, to the city clerk's office and never got a response, um, did, did you try any other method of getting an answer? Yes, we did. Um, our treasurer also picked up the phone and called and did. It's noted, and I think the evaluator noted that there was a phone conversation that is in dispute about whether or not it occurred and whether or not that person, you know, had the authority to say what they did say. But we did make more than just a good faith attempt, repeated attempts to get clarity. Um, and, you know, and you've seen this, this issue come up and multiple people were told similar things and then other people were told different things. And I think that's, you know, that's the other part of this that has been, has been incredibly, you know, unfortunate in, in how this played out. And to touch on that a little bit, um, I know I read the report um, for the other agenda item that maybe we're not supposed to, to get too far into, but it also included communications with, with staff that you asked about. And I, I think it might be appropriate to answer that. I know your council has suggested that because um, you don't have a quorum for that item that uh, you shouldn't be talking about it here. But at the same time, I think if it's relevant to, to what we're presenting here, um, that it was noticed, it was included in the record, and that you can, you can take that up um, and ask about it. I would, I would ask you to, if you think it, it changes anything, that both the, the city clerk's office and the city attorney's office, I think, um, gave at least some indication of you know, what the, the law should have been, what the intent was, and things like that. And so I think even though this, there's two different investigations, I think they overlap enough that uh, if the city was speaking on this law, um, they, that we should be you know, expected to follow what they're saying about it. So Chair, if I may, um, if we do talk about that other agenda item, the commissioner that is recused from this, that item would need to leave the dais and the room, and therefore you'd lose a quorum. Got it. The problem with having an, an <clears throat> incomplete commission. <coughs> Excuse me. So does anybody, does either of you have questions? Yes, Commissioner Ng. Yes, I, I do have a question, though I'm not sure <clears throat> whether I should direct to both of you or to Gary. Um, you know, I understand Dr. Colbert's view you know, I read that, and you decide to run for the city office after April 1st. So I know I read it somewhere. I tried to find that page, and I couldn't. Um, so my question is, so you're actually, you know, coming in late. You know, what I'm saying is not in the very beginning like many of the folks who put in their paper. So does it still consider as the off-election, um, what do you call it, application? You know, when someone put in a paper, so what does that, what does it mean? Will the date that they submit a paper has something to do, has something to do with this off 
election year or something. And so when they submit a paper, don't they have some kind of um, instruction about, you know, how much they can um, raise that type of instruction? If I may, that, that's on Gary Lindsay, general counsel for the Ethics Commission. I would, would not be privy to that. Maybe the clerk's office would know or maybe the campaign would know if they did or did not receive such a thing, such, such instructions. If you're, if you're asking if there would be some indication or instructions that they would have received during the filing of that form, then that's something that I, I, the city attorney's office would not know or have knowledge of to be able to answer that question. It might be something, I don't know if it's practice of the city clerk or whether or not the campaign itself could address whether or not they did or did not receive anything of that kind. So I don't know because I've never run for office. So, you know, just please educate me. <clears throat> so when you run for office, they only give you a bunch of papers and then the requirements and all that, or you just, yeah, this is my name. I'm just going to apply and you're on your own. So, uh, Vice Chair, maybe I can answer that question. So oh, please, the you. nomination period doesn't open until November. So really, um, the, the only rules uh -huh. are the municipal code. So the municipal code talks to campaign finance, um, and that's, that's where the discrepancy is. There's one place in the municipal code that says one thing, and there's one place that says something different. And so that is, um, that's why I read to you the findings from the city attorney's office, mm -hmm. because what they said is the discrepancy in the code would lead them to believe they would not pursue action in this case. Yeah, yeah. Because okay. there's a discrepancy in the yeah. code. I just wanted to double check. You know, to clarify my thoughts. Yeah. Right. And, and when you do um, elect to run for office, the nomination period opens up in the middle of November. That's what and that's think. when someone would come in and, and collect their nomination form um, and get an orientation from my office about how to run for office, what you need to submit to be a candidate. Um, but again, Fair Political Practices Commission really talks about filing of the Form 460, and there are instructions on the FPPC, the Fair Political Practices Commission website. Gotcha. Thanks. Thanks for the education. Commissioner Velasquez, did you have a comment or, <clears throat> or did you lose it? No, uh, no, that was, I was gonna, sorry, I was gonna help uh, Commissioner Ng. I think what I think what I'm about to ask is rhetorical um, because it goes back to the intent of the council and the, the, the intent of the, the amendment of the, um, the code and had it been whether whether the intent was to follow suit as Mr. Miller had said that it usually does with tradition, and it didn't, right? In this case, it did not. That's where the um, the potential violation. Um, I'm just. I'm sorry. I'm just thinking out loud. Well, to, to tack onto that thought, uh, one of the things that happened in 2021, they introduced the first time that we would say there was a mistake is that that's when the two dates show up, is, is July 1st and April 1st show up together um, for the first time in 2021. And the second time we would say that there was a mistake or a mishap in, in, in adjusting the code was in 2023 when they didn't do an update at all. Now, I think the reason in 2023 they didn't do an update is because they looked at the code and it said April 1st and they moved on. 
um, that it, it already says what we think it says. We, it already says that your primary election starts in, or your primary election period starts April 1st, the year before the March primary. That text is still in there. It's still good law. Um, and that there's nothing that we can gather from uh, them not updating it in, in, in 2023 to, to make it so that that has some kind of meaning other than April 1st, 2023 was the start of the primary election period. So if you could bear with me, you, yeah. uh, I believe you guys indicated that, your respondent indicated that uh, you did not start um, campaigning or at least the collection of campaigns until April. That is correct. And the, which was already the past the off period. That is, according, according, well, that, that is what we According believe, to one code. Yeah. Um, we all agree that it was in the primary election period. Okay. Yeah, after April 1st. Usually that year. primary is shifted further out and it's, this would be typically still the off period. See, Nicole, look. Well, well uh, traditionally. Yeah, so traditionally, um, it, it, we used to just have one set of election dates, but now we have um, our, our presidential primaries in March and our gubernatorial primaries for governor in June. And so what the, the city has been doing is just moving the dates as sort of a, a staff level change that's put on the consent calendar um, to go back and forth. They didn't do that. However, that's not, that's also is not, this is a very strange ordinance to begin with. That's also a very strange way of setting up an ordinance. We don't, we don't normally say, hey, we're going to set a, a law up and with a promise that we're going to change it every two years. Um, this obviously could be more clearly written if somebody started over, but that's not really how city councils work. Like this has been amended over the last 20 years. It is a mess because that's what happens to laws that you amend over and over and over again. Right. So, uh, so let me just ask you plainly in, in your own thought process, maybe, maybe not you, maybe the respondent, maybe the campaign staff, um, in your own thoughts when you were um, collecting uh, contributions and it was already April. Was it? Were you in assuming in your mind? Oh, they'll maybe they'll they'll change it. It was a mistake. We're you know we're doing fine. Um, we're not in any violation. Did you think that? What was the thought process that you thought that um, you would just have the the two months or the one month or what? What was in? What was the thought process at the, the time? The, the campaign believed that it was in full compliance with the law um, starting April first. Um, it, that was why they chose to, to start campaigning after April. In other words, after April 1st, the off-year limit doesn't apply anymore. Okay. And so there was no thought that they were going to limit the, the spending. Um, the, the bookkeeper saw uh, you know, something about this July 1st date and confirmed with the city. Everything was good. Uh, confirmed multiple times. Uh, reached out. Talked to somebody in the city, in the city clerk's office, who had a phone conversation. Um, and then wanted a confirmation email from that. And that's what led to the several communications is that the campaign never got that initial confirmation okay, email. Okay, got it. So we the, had the, that conversation. We so talked the phone call the, wasn't after, because earlier, just about 10 minutes ago, it sounded like you had all of these emails first, and then there was a phone conversation. But it was a phone conversation first. No, no there were emails, then a phone conversation, and then more emails. Okay, to, to get that in writing get that about... that in writing, exactly. Okay, okay. Yes. okay thank you. I mean, to me, the thing that makes it so confusing is that 
And this is so well illustrated by the graphic that the city clerk made was that in 2020, the primary was in March, and then in 2022, it was back in June, and then this next one is going to be back in March. I mean, if they would just keep it at the same time, that would make life simpler, and they wouldn't have to keep amending the ordinance. As you say, it's kind of crazy to have an ordinance that you have to amend every two years. Um, so that you know, so that's that's where the big issue comes from, and how, how is it possible to have it be both periods at the same time? I'm not sure, um, but that's the question. We <laughs> and and I would say that that's what the text, at least. Um, it tells us about what they were trying to do. In other words, they knew in 2021 that the election was going back and forth. In other words, that was already set up in the election code. And I think that that's why they put two different dates in, is that they were trying to, to write it in a way that covered both sets of elections. And did they do that clearly? No. But did they do that? Yes, because that's how we interpret law, is what were they trying to do? Well, then we're going to read it to do that if it can be reasonable to read it that way. And there's two different dates there. I think it's perfectly reasonable to say they accomplished what they were trying to do and that we read the law to mean that there's a one-year primary period where the limit doesn't apply. If it's a primary in June, that limit uh, ended July 1st the year before. If it's a primary in March, that limit ended April 1st the year before. And it only gets confusing if you don't know that intent, if you read just a piece of the law and then another piece of the law, then it gets confusing. But if you understand the overall scheme, all the puzzle pieces together, I think it's very simple to understand. It's very simple to implement. Um, there's no way to get this wrong if you just understand that there is a one-year primary election period where the off election year ended right before it. Anything else? Okay, so is that the end of your presentation? Yes. Okay. Thank so, you so much. Thank you. So now we can take public comment from any member of the public who wishes to speak, and they will be limited to two minutes, but anybody who wants to, oh, who submitted a speaker slip is welcome to speak. So. Madam Clerk, do we have speaker slips? Yeah, yes, thank you, have. Chair. I have three speaker slips. The first is John Frias Morales, then Lambert, and then Moyes. I also support the independent evaluator's findings for Dr. Kofler. Quote, we nonetheless conclude that respondent violated section 2.13.80 aggregate contribution limit by receiving contributions of $90,000. This commission does not have the authority to create a carve-out exception to the law. Financial donors to campaigns should not be allowed to buy an election. Every candidate must follow the rules and return money if violations occurred. The other council candidate indeed returned the money. I do not believe Dr. Coffer was confused. She should be treated like a responsible adult and held to account. No carve-out is needed for confused candidates. To label black and brown candidates as confused feeds into stereotypes that people of color aren't knowledgeable and professional. There should, be not, there should not be separate rules for black and brown candidates. 
There is only one set of rules. Nobody is above the law. Once again, this commission does not have authority to create a carve-out exception to the law. Every other candidate for mayor, including the one that has dropped out, followed the law. Some even put out a press release noting they hit the cap. If it fails to act, the commission will have allowed one candidate who didn't follow the law to have a substantial monetary advantage over all the other candidates in the election that followed the law. How is that fair? If the commission fails to enforce this flagrant violation of the law, it will be impossible to for enforce any other laws. The independent evaluator is correct. Dr. Coffer broke the law. Unfortunately, unfortunately, instead of enforcing the law, the evaluator recommends the commission ignore it. Ignoring or confusion about the law is an excuse is to follow it. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker is Lambert, then Moyes. My name is Lambert Davis, and I'm a, a business owner that's called to the Bay and Back Cheesecakes. And as I studied both sides, uh, it confused me on, to me, it seems like the people who are interpreting it, even on the rostrum, are confused about something that sh there should be clarity. There's elections all the time. This is an election. There should never be confusion on any level. And as a person who's not a, who's just a lay person listening to this, uh, I've studied Dr. Kofer over the years when she was members of different commissions, and she has tremendous integrity. And you can't put a penny on integrity. And so, me personally, I. I have more respect for her being caught in the crossfire of mass confusion because this is her first time running and um, to be um, labeled as uh, different stereotype uh, characters, that has nothing to do with elections. That has to do with trying to intimidate a person uh, to run for office. And by the way, um, there's a case called Citizens United, I believe, and I'm not sure if that applies to local, but Citizens United, there's no limit to what you can do. So it's, as a person who's just sitting here trying to understand this, I'm shocked because a lot of people that are up here interpreting this, they sound confused to me. Thank you for your comments, Moyes. Good evening, my name is Moyes. I'm here today in defense of Dr. Flo John Coper's candidacy for Sacramento mayor. I'm someone who was born and raised Speak in- Speak up a little. A little louder, okay, sorry, that's, okay. Um, I'm someone who was born and raised in Sacramento. I'm familiar with Sacramento city politics. I frequent public meetings and make a comment, but uh, this tonight is something strange. This is not normal. Tonight, we're here for an attempt to punish and silence Dr. Flo Kofer's candidacy for mayor 
for daring to believe that more is possible, for daring to prove that more is possible, that, that rather than take corporate contributions, she could turn to her community and that we would be there for her and that she could be successful in doing that. Uh, and she is. I'm personally here for her as an early donor in May, again, after the primary election, one year period already started, uh, and a few more times since I've donated. Um, she's leading a winning movement to reimagine and make our city better, and this is an attempt to punish her and the campaign, and I take offense to that as a contributor in that period of time. Dr. Flo is someone who, if you know her, has served in your role, served on commissions for this city. She's someone who has led efforts to make the city a more accountable, a more accessible place. She has led the efforts to establish performance metrics, to establish participatory budgeting, to establish the ability for members of our community to have a direct voice in democracy uh, in this city. As chair of the Measure U Community Advisory Committee for four terms in a row uh, is someone who has been closely working with the community to make sure that um, this, this is a place where people can come, this is a place where people can try to make our city a better place, and she has that reputation of holding firm to the rule of law, uh, and this is fully an attempt to silence her. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Chair, I have no more speakers. All right, public comment is now closed. Now is the time for the commission discussion or comment. Um, on whether a violation occurred. And I also, I don't know before, I need a motion to receive the independent evaluator's report. Is that correct? Yes, we can. We do need to, um, your first action is to pass a motion receiving the independent evaluator's report. If you'd like to do that first, we can. Yes. Okay. Does anybody want to make that motion? I was reading my notes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> to receive the independent okay, evaluation. I make a motion to receive the independent evaluations review. Okay. Report. Do we have a second? A second. Okay. Motion made by Commissioner Velasquez, seconded by Vice Chairman Ng. All in favor? Aye. 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 Okay. So we've received the report. All right. So now we have to discuss whether a violation occurred. and. We have four choices of what to come up with once we say, you know, discuss what we want. The first would be to direct the evaluator to conduct further investigation. The second would be to adopt a resolution finding that sufficient evidence does exist to establish that a violation occurred. The third one would be to adopt a resolution finding that sufficient evidence does not exist to establish that a violation occurred and ordering the complaint be dismissed. And the fourth would be to pass a motion referring to the complaint to the FPPC or another governmental agency. So now is the time to talk about what we think. Commissioner Velasquez. Yeah, if I can just kind of in plain devil's advocate and um, thinking about um, what's written and what isn't and um, setting precedents and 
and who out there may be in the same boat and how others may have perceived um, the, the policies. And um, there may be other people out there. We only know about this one because a complaint was made. Um, so my thoughts are, are this, that, that the, the respondent could have played it safe and, and done this earlier and, and so it wasn't overlapping just to, just to be safe, but that would possibly also um, put the, your campaign at risk um, when in writing it, it didn't seem necessary. Um, so I can see where, um, especially they did their due diligence um, in multiple occasions via email to different um, individuals, um, via phone. Um, I think the, the uh, staff, uh, the city has a, a part responsibility in that um, and just tidying, tidying up our loose ends with our policies as well. Um, and I, I think that's all I'm gonna say for now. So I just, thinking about as well, like I mentioned, that there may be other people out there that either played it safe and didn't um, have that kind of campaign so late or that also are in the same boat, but we don't know about them. And do we then um, determine a violation when there, there might be somebody out there because they didn't get a, get a complaint? I'm, I'm trying to think about. I suspect that there are people out there combing through everybody's financial statements looking for something that depending on whose side you're on yeah yeah so those are just my thoughts out loud sure. i think that like again i think there's enough of between their due diligence and and our own responsibility to, to clean up some of our policies okay well that's my thought also you know because i you know as a government entity we need we look to the statutes to guide us Okay, clearly on the statute, the definition, you know, clearly stated, you know, right there, off election year, doesn't matter whatever it is, but it's right here written, okay, when you go to the city code, and there it goes right there, just direct you that explain to you what it is. So for that, you know, yeah, and I understand the second part for that, I see a violation there. However, I also understand this confusion. So, um, you know, that's, that's another discussion subject after we talk about this one, so. All right, well, for me, I mean, it all comes down to the fact that you have these overlapping yeah, yeah. periods. And I just don't understand how a period of time can be both the off-election period and the primary election period at the same time. Um, you know, our independent evaluator says it can be both because they serve different purposes. But I am not convinced by that. I think it's either, it's gotta be either one or the other. And it makes sense to me that they intended to do the same thing in 2024 that they did in 2020, which was to move the primary election period earlier, which they did do, 
but also move the end of the off-election period earlier, too, so that one ends when the other one starts. And the fact that the city council didn't do that is troubling, but I don't, I, I don't think that they did it on purpose. I, no, no, yeah, is 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 totally. I, mean, I can't imagine them sitting there in their meeting saying, you know, let's make these two periods overlap and just drive everyone crazy. Uh, yeah, for us who who's who's on this side, you know, is confusing. Right, right. True, and we agree. So. For for me, I, I the um, the intent of the the council is is um, in this particular case is neither here nor there just because they are they aren't here to represent themselves so we can't read their minds mm -hmm. um, and they may very very well may have just left it there on purpose we don't know it could be any and all things um, but according to that overlap although that traditionally I think there's a traditional part like we said about the previous years where they're separated traditionally there's a violation but right now, I, I don't think there is because of that overlap. You don't think there's a violation because, because of, of that overlap? Because of that overlap. Okay. So. Because it's about, it, it's about the, the amount of, co that they collected during the period. If, it, if these. The period if we, that, that was covered by both. See, if, they, if you look at 2019 and 2021, and if they had collected, if they had campaigned during April, well, in 2019, they would have been in the primary period. Right. But because it overlapped this year, they were still within the off-election period, right? But they were also in the primary period. They were in both. It's that yellow box right. in the middle. But they were in the off-election period as well. Right. So, so on the, it's, 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 on the, they were violating one law and ordinance. Exactly. They are, they are, the yeah. Is, but for the off election period, you know, I mean, because right here, it, it, it comes first, you know, January or whatever. And then traditionally, later, traditionally yeah. yes. Yeah. So, so they I mean, weren't, so, so, what, so in my opinion, they weren't not following the what was actually written in previous years that that would have been a different story because that's why it's so confusing yeah i mean yeah. it's just you know and that's what we are here to see is it you know violation or not violation okay and and the chart here just tell us this is what it is you know the off election periods come before the primary elections I, yeah so that's what it is I think either way, so that we're going to have um, someone's going to be upset. Um, yes. Either way, it's going to set a precedent, exactly. obviously. Um, but exactly. but this is just an unfortunate situation, and I I, I don't think that there was any negligence um, Not on the respondents' behalf. Not at all. You know. So do you, do you have an opinion as to which action we should take? Yes, I vote them down. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's not, you know, anybody's fault. And, yeah, I'm you know, say number even three. they're violating, you know, based on the yeah. schedule. It's unfortunate, I, but. I, I recommend that there's no reprimand. Resolution? No, no violation? Yes, no, no. There's a violation yes, on that. But we don't rep reprimand them. Mm. But do we need them to 
you know, take any corruptive action. I mean, that's what. All right. Well, we first we need to decide before we we won't even get to the issue of corrective action until we decide whether there's if there's a violation. a violation or not. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Madam Clerk, that we need all three votes to find that there's a violation. Right. Or is that only on the penalty? But you're correct, um, Chair, that you need all, you, you, in the, given the quorum situation and so on, or actually just the procedures, you would need for, to find a violation, all three of you would have to be in agreement, but for the other options, you'd only need two. Yes, so Chair, I'm gonna refer you back to the recommendation on the staff report. So B is to adopt a resolution finding that sufficient evidence does not exist to establish a violation occurred and ordering that the complaint be dismissed. That would take two votes of the current seated commission at this meeting, which is a quorum of the commission. And then if you chose item C, which is adopt a resolution finding that sufficient evidence um, does exist to establish that a violation occurred, occurred, you would need a unanimous vote of the um, quorum here. Okay, are we ready to vote? Let's do it. Okay. We still need a motion. Yeah, you wanna make a motion? Sure. Um, based on uh, the data collection, I, I motion um, option B, um, does, there does not uh, appear to be sufficient evidence for the violation based on that they're within the, they were within the election period. Okay. If, I, if I may, just for, just for clarity's sake, that I believe that the commissioner is referring to 5.5C. The option, which is, she mentioned B, but then substantively mentioned what's actually 5.5 sub C. So I just wanted to make that clear, because sub C is the no violations. I'm reading from the staff recommendation on the um, oh, oh, agenda. sorry, I, I thought so you were referring to the agenda language is okay. to adopt a resolution finding that sufficient evidence does not exist to establish that a violation occurred and ordering that the complaint be dismissed. Is that your motion? That's my motion. I just say, my apologies. I was referring to the procedures when you were referring Correct. to the staff. Correct, no yeah. To the okay. recommendation yeah. from the staff. motion, I'm sorry. To find that there was no, there was not sufficient evidence to establish that a violation occurred. And I will second that motion. So. Well, two is all we need for, for that one. Well. So, um, Vice Chair Ng, would you like to report to re repeat that motion? Yes. So the motion by um, Commissioner Velasquez and a second by um, Chair Underwood was to adopt a resolution finding that sufficient evidence does not exist to establish that a violation occurred and ordering the, the complaint be dismissed. Okay, do you wanna comment on that? You know, I, I, I do understand, you know, the attorney and uh, Dr. Cova's point, but I'm also looking at this particular, you know, we have, we have this statute right there. So maybe I should direct this particular questions to Gary, you know, based on, I mean, I'll see the attorney, and based on attorney Ivy's, you know, uh, presentation, you know, when, when in doubt, so do we, well, if I can say something, I yeah. am, um, 
uh, attorney attorney Gary also um, am I saying your name right? Yeah. Also indicated earlier that if there was anything that you wish to be looked into further, yeah. we could make a motion. Um, you can make a motion to for our uh, independent evaluator to look into, right? Yeah. You can make that would be a good yes, question. but no, no, no. I just ask a quick question. I mean, this is, yeah. if I may interject, we have a motion on the floor, though. Am I correct? Yeah, we have a motion on okay. the floor. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we couldn't do any divergent okay. action okay. until that's voted. So we should vote on that motion. Unless you wanted to make a substitute motion, because we do have a motion on the table. Yeah. But that's why, you know, I want to clear, clarify, because it's like, you know, 50-50, but I also want to clarify something the, you know, both attorney, I mean, the other attorney was addressing, you know, the, um, uh, if, if something in doubt, you know, do you really, do you go to the, you know, the higher court? How do you interpret our law? So, remember, that's what it said, that, you know, how do you interpret it, and you go to the California Supreme Court, I mean, well, I think we're not going to ask for further clarification if this motion passes because we're going to dismiss the um, complaint. And that'll be the end of it. So I think we need to take a vote. Right? Would you like me to call yeah. the roll chair? Yes. Thank All you. Right. Go ahead. Thank you, Commissioner Velasquez. Aye. Um, Commissioner Ng? I'll go with it. Aye. Thank you. And Chair Underwood? Aye. That motion passes. Okay. All right. Thank you all. I now close the hearing at this time. But not the meeting. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, it's not over, Mr. Lambert. It's the hearing on that is over. that item. That item, item is, is yeah. over, but the meeting the meeting is not over yet. So item four is completed, um, did, and um, we did have an item. I do not have any additional speaker slips. So Mr. Davis, if you wanted to speak for matters not on the agenda, you would need to fill out a speaker slip. And then as we've already announced, item five, which is receive independent evaluators report and conduct a hearing related to a complaint before the Sacramento Ethics Commission alleging a violation of campaign contribution limits and campaign spending limits by council member Katie Valenzuela. We do have a commissioner who needed to recuse from that item, so we will continue that hearing, um, and that will not be heard. I will be querying um, commissioners to find an alternative date. Okay, and I guess we want to do that as soon as possible. That's correct. We will still need to re-notice. We're not going to discuss that. And That's correct. Okay. We're not going to discuss yes. that item at all. It has been continued. Um, and then I will query, of course, following the um, Ethics Commission procedures, we'll need to re-notify everyone. Um, and so I will be reaching out tomorrow to find out an alternative date that the commissioners can meet. Okay. I'm not going to be here next week. You know, if it's like the first right. two days. Well, we're, we're not talking calendar right now. No. We'll, oh, okay. we'll do that through Mindy. Okay. All right. Um, Did Mr. Lambert want to I don't know. So... We we have two more items on the agenda. One is 
public comments, if anybody wants to make a public comment, but they need to fill out a speaker slip. And the other one is commissioner comments, ideas and questions on other issues, if there's anything else to bring up about um, maybe items we want to put on future agendas or whatever. Uh, can, can I, uh, you know, this is a commissioner's thing. Um, can I go back to, you know, what we do just now, you know, but just, just ask this question, you know, moving forward, how is the, um, the city, you know, going to improve better on those communication of what we just went through? Well, um, I can speak to that point. I think you're talking about the ordinance and being updated. Yeah. So I have been working with the city attorney's office and we already have a revised ordinance ready to go to our law and legislation committee mm -hmm. and then to the city council, which will remove that so that it, it's not a date that has to change every two years. Right. And so we are doing that, but we wanted to make sure that the two um, complaints in question are resolved before we move forward with any update um, because it really doesn't take effect for two more years. But we did want it, didn't want to muddy the waters with having an update moving through the system at, at this time. And then also, you know, communication-wise, you know, I just feel that if any more questions come up, you know, such as, as important as that, um, I know, I know uh, every public office, you know, they just, they just have a phone answering, I mean, phone, what is it called? Is not may not be a live person or may be a live person, but it's also the person is just answer the phone without the knowledge of what 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 needs to be taken or action needs to be taken. So um, you know, I think that we should improve. I mean, not just really, it's not just a local government; it's all of the state government. You go and make a phone call, you don't know where they're directing you to. So I think that. We really should improve the public service, you know, answer all relevant questions to eliminate any of those misunderstandings. Yeah. yeah, and I'll add that I am concerned that <clears throat> apparently her, Dr. Kofer's, um, somebody on her staff had sent numerous emails to the city clerk's office and they just sort of fell between the cracks somehow and never got answered. I mean, the one, the phone conversation thing, there was some question about whether that happened, how that happened or if it happened at all. But the emails we have in black and white that she sent them, somebody named Chelsea Johnson kept sending emails and not getting a response. So. That seems like something that shouldn't happen. All right, anything else? Any public comments? Nobody submitted a slip. I don't have any additional speaker <coughs> slips for matters not on the agenda. Did Mr. Davis fill out a speaker slip? He says right there. Mr. Davis, would you like to speak on matters not on the agenda? Yes. Then please come proceed.
put something right here. I want you to I want to make sure this is seen. Go ahead and get started, and then okay. I can Okay. My name is Lambert Davis, and I'm my family owns a cheesecake business here, and we have. I'm a native too. Graduated from Grant High School in 1976, and my family's been here since 1946, so I really do like this city. Um, we have submitted a lot of paperwork to the city manager's office. That's where the power and money is in this city, if you know the chart of this city. And we have never missed a deadline. You, you, you must meet the deadline, no matter what it is. And recently, my family made me aware of this, and this is in October. Shout out to the Sacramento Bee. City Councilwoman Kaplan and her uh, uh, chief of staff, they were actually uh, approved for a grant. There's two things wrong with that. The city, uh, city employees are not qualified to apply for this. That's a known fact. And, but, the, but the part that insulted my family was that they, they submitted their paperwork three months late after the deadline, and had it not been for the Sacramento Bee, they would have pulled it off. And it was the staff inside the city manager's office and also welcome to Sacramento. I'm filing a protest about this because when you submit a lot of paperwork like I have, you have no sympathy for people who are allowed to uh, be approved for funding when it's a known fact that we have tremendous documentation on the uh, city manager's office and some of his staffs. I think these people should be uh, removed from office and brought up on criminal charges. Thank you for your comments. Okay, this concludes today's agenda. Thank you everyone for your participation. It is now 7.23 p.m. The meeting is adjourned. Thank you, Mr. Miller. It's good to meet you. Likewise. Thanks,